Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your hosts, Asif Khan and Abriana Lopez. All right, we are back with your favorite podcast of the week. This is This Week in Location-Based Marketing. It is episode number 426, and we're recording live on the morning of August the 6th. Yes, it is now August. Abriana, how are you today? Welcome back. Thank you. I am I'm good. I'm feeling like refreshed and you know, nice family time, beach time, sun, sand, chasing crazy kids around. So um it was good. It was nice to have a week off, but I missed you guys, so I'm back. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, it was fun with Carson last week and uh you know, it's uh, it's good to have him here uh in Canada, local. Uh I'm gonna see him in a little bit um today and uh yeah, it was fun. But uh, yeah, we missed you too. Um, glad to have you back. And uh, we've got a good show. Three industry news stories, three member news stories, uh, a wide range of things today that we're covering. And uh, I guess we'll just jump into it. I'll let you kick it off. All right. Well, I'm going to kick it off with a story from a company called Precise Target, not to be confused with the former Exact Target. Yeah. Um, but um, Precise Target basically is um, a company that has profiled, uh, they say 200 million U.S. adults from largest retailers. So they have about 200 retailers that they're working with. So the largest retail categories like um, apparel, footwear, cosmetics, home goods, electronics, all of those different things. Um, and their big announcement is that they've just launched these, um, these product taste profiles on LiveRamp. Um, so what they do is they they take all this data in and then they anonymize the data, which I think is really important, mm -hmm. obviously. Um, and then it's based upon purchase behavior. So they might be able to say, for example, like this is an audience that has purchased expensive cosmetics. Um, so the theory for them is that like consumers are more loyal to their tastes and preferences than a brand, uh, which I would kind of agree with. I think that that is probably true of myself as well. Like I probably prefer... I mean, per different uh, category, I probably have different preferences, right? In terms of if I'm going to spend more money or less money. Um, so they use an affiliate marketing programs of about 200 different retail partners. And then if you want to actually take those audience segments and act upon them, you need to work with Equifax. So they work with Equifax and Equifax basically takes this like um, this synchronized, it's like a synthetic ID that they've they've put together and then they turn it into an actionable ad ID that you can target, um, you know, with advertising. So they off also offer a subscription service for retailers to analyze and capture their own data. They do this in real time um, for different sites and ads for apps, um, which one interesting thing about this company is this is founded by Rob McGovern and he's the former um, founder of a career builder and job box. Mm -hmm. So he's funding this whole exercise himself, which is like really interesting. Um, but one thing that he referenced that I thought was, was interesting is that, that um, when you, what Amazon's doing, like when you're a prime shopper is they're actually showing you things based upon your preferences and your tastes and not based upon a brand. Um, and so prime shoppers are making roughly 75 purchases from Amazon per year Whereas an average retailer will only get two purchases, you know, per year from, from, um, you know, I guess a consumer, I don't know how they got two because I think about, you know, I'm a, especially when you think about like supermarket or target or something like that, like, you know, 
most people are there every week at least, if not more. But um, anyways, you know, I think that maybe they're on to something talking about the tastes. I like that this is purchase behavior. I think that um, marrying that with some other data sets could be really powerful. So um, I think this is really interesting. Yeah, I, I really like this too. And I, I, you know, as a, we are both entrepreneurs, we both have our, our own other businesses going on. I've obviously got my new data analytics uh, startup as well. You know, I'm a big, you know, proponent and fan of uh, investing in your own companies. And so I appreciate that, uh, Mr. McGovern is doing doing that himself. Um, I like that. That's you know that that's really cool. Um, you know, I, I think the space that they're in uh, is one that uh, you know there's plenty of room to, to to grow. I think this idea of going after you know it's all about anonymous data. It's all about audience segmentation at the moment. My company as well, um, and um, you know I, I think that um, this idea of tastes for me is really interesting. Right. So if, you know, if I look at it in the lens of this show and, and what we've been talking about for the last nine years, uh, location based marketing and, and location data in particular, um, you may remember there was a startup way back, way, 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 way back, uh, probably in, I'm going to say 2011, uh, 10, 11, somewhere around there, um, called Whirl. Um, and no longer uh, around, uh, got got uh, got acquired along the way, um, and uh, that's kind of their that was their take, right? They were going after these audiences based on their location uh, and, and geo targeting, but based on on, on building uh, like minded groups of people, right? So you know, this is an audience of people who like wine. This is an audience of people who like dogs. This is an audience of people who like movies. Um, and, and find, you know, like-minded people in, in a geo area near you and be able to target them with advertising and so on. And so obviously that was purely on the, on the basis of location. Uh, this is much broader than that. But I think this idea of finding, you know, audiences of like-minded people or, or who have common tastes, I think is really interesting. So um, I, I see huge potential for this. I think, um, you know, at our upcoming retail local conference, you know, we, this, this concept of, of audience-based uh, marketing, I think will be a big topic this year at our conference uh, in Atlanta. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have a lot more to say about it. I think, I think they're, you know, on the right track. I, I, I'm intrigued to learn more about kind of what they're doing and how they're licensing the data and, and, and who they're licensing it to. Um, and, uh, I, I also like the Equifax angle on this. I think, uh, you know, bringing in a big mature, you know, player like that to, you know, anonymize the, the ad ID piece, uh, of this, I, I think, you know, adds a layer of credibility to it for me. So, yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, there's a book that the same guy who wrote Moneyball, uh, Michael Lewis, he also wrote, um, trying to find this book. That I listened to um, it was it's a it's a book about you know Moneyball obviously was all about like the data behind the game of baseball and it was just about the data behind like the decisions that people make and it was really interesting because um, you know he talks about how you know if you find somebody who's like a coffee lover right and they order their coffee every time you know but then occasionally they're gonna order a hot tea and then randomly they're gonna order this hot chocolate um, but you can't necessarily keep up with their tastes because of the psychology of how the brain works and so that it was really I don't know it was really interesting because it was like is there rhyme and reason to things and then even like from the Moneyball perspective like you can look at stats and analyze data all day but you don't take into consideration like 
what is their work ethic? Like, how do they, are they a team player? You know, all of those yeah. different things. And I feel like that kind of is resonating in the marketing and advertising world right now as well. It's like, we don't really know. There's not enough science to back up. Like, is targeting based on taste, you know, better than targeting based on location behavior, like whatever it may be. Um, but I like that we're trying new things and we're trying to figure it out. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Hopefully it works, right? Or else a lot of us are out of a job. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, uh, check it out, guys. It's uh, it's called per Precise Target um, uh, from uh, uh, Rob McGovern. And um, yeah, it looks like a, an interesting company with a, a good path. Anyways, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. All right. On to our second story for this week. Uh, Pinterest uh, is rolling out browsable catalogs uh, alongside pins. So, uh, you know, I think this is, you know, Pinterest has been doing all sorts of great things, I think, to grow their business and move it forward. You know, we've talked about data partnerships, uh, you know, with Kroger uh, and others recently. Um, but this idea of, um, you know, these the boards that, that uh, Pinterest has become known for and, and kind of being able to have now catalogs uh, and, and to be able to browse those catalogs, shop those catalogs, using the pin uh, location data uh, piece of it in terms of, you know, both product pins and, and geo pins and, and understanding kind of where can I buy those things near me and all that sort of stuff and, and creating those, you know, the sort of connectivity between those two things, I think makes a ton of sense, right? So this is all about attribution. This is all about measurement. Uh, this is all about, you know, ultimately driving sales for, for products and, and, and revenue. Um, there, you know, the story around this doesn't talk at all about that aspect of it in terms of, you know, how do they monitor, what is the actual, you know, uh, you know, how are they selling this or what the, you know, what, what they're charging for this service or, you know, what percentage of revenue they're taking on, on traffic that they, they drive it that converts into a sale. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, this is a very logical piece. I know, for example, with, with my new company, we're building the office right now my wife and my daughter and everybody, you know, they've got these, you know, these, you know, all these office furniture things that they've, you know, set up on Pinterest and they're looking at all this stuff and they've got the boards and the colors, all of that. Right. And, and, um, so, so I know the power of what that is in Pinterest. Um, and, and then the ability to connect that to actual purchasing products, um, you know, and doing that with, with, with product pins and, and location data, I think is, uh, is super smart. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I don't have a ton to add. I do love like how Pinterest is continuing to just like unfold new ideas and um, ways to generate more revenue for them and ways to keep, you know, Pinterest users engaged and um, on the platform and um, being able to kind of like keep them compart, you know, compartmentalized there where they can do everything that they want straight from that platform. So I think it's good. Yeah, and they've done some new research with with Newstar uh, that they've released in terms of the numbers around some of this. So uh, they say that um, Pinterest ads constituted just 11% of total media spend um, for the, the five brands that they reviewed and created 18% uh, incremental sales and revenue for those brands. So there there is that there is an interesting correlation there between what Pinterest can do in terms of driving offline uh, sales. Um, and we see this with other uh, platforms, Amazon and others as well. I mean, while Amazon's focused on online, obviously they do ultimately also drive offline sales to, uh, to other brands because uh, people are doing their research there and then they're going elsewhere, right? Uh, yeah. As well. So it used to be only the other way, right? People used to like 
you know, uh, do their research in the store and then buy on, on Amazon. And now it's a little bit of both, right? Um, yeah. In some cases. So, yeah, cool. All right. So next story, we are going back. Um, Pokemon Go is back. Yeah. Uh, and they're doing it with a really fun digital out-of-home campaign. So um, what they did is they challenged New Yorkers to this kind of like sort of a duel. Um, and they did this kind of in a fun way. So they, they started touting it like a week before the campaign actually launched. And um, they were trying to get New Yorkers to help them defeat what they were calling Team Go Rocket, which is like this fictional group of villains. Um, and they're hackers that invaded the Pokey Stops, uh, which were like the digital out-of-home placements of all these different um, you know, bus shelters and all these different things throughout the city. Um, so what they did is they had all of these posters like that suddenly crashed because they were hacked by the villains. And so whenever um, a player was near a Pokestop, they could actually try and battle the Team Rocket, uh, Team Go Rocket, um, and, and try to catch the villains shadow Pokemon. So I don't know anything about this stuff, but I'm, you know, all right. Um, so then the game requires the players, or they're calling the trainers, to go through a process of purifying the shadow Pokemon. I guess that's like, you know, some type of a, um, uh, you know, like they're, they're casting out the demon of Pokemon. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a uh, what's it called? <laughs> I'm trying to think of what it is. I don't know. Anyways. Um, so they started hinting it early. I'll think of it in a minute. Um, and then they partnered with Wyden and Kennedy. Um, yep. So what's interesting, though, is like Niantic, you know, this is really the only AR game that they have been super successful with. But they have been so successful with this, they could probably fail at a lot of other games because players have spent $2.65 billion on the Pokemon Go game, which is crazy. Um, they did just launch like another AR Harry Potter game, but, you know, that has not seen the same success. I think that they were hoping it would. Um, I mean, I think this is great. Like they also are doing this maybe in support of there's a new movie coming out called Pokemon Detective Pikachu. And so, you know, I think they're like kind of trying to do something fun, gather, you know, and garner like kind of some more traction and attention, um, get people involved. So I think this is fun. You know, I think this is great that they, they did something like this to sort of get people, you know, excited about playing again. People are moving throughout the city um you know generate some interest and maybe even attract new users um you know who hadn't played before but are sitting there at the bus stop waiting and they thought they would you know jump on and play so um yeah that's what i mean i, I think it's fun i think this is like a great idea right before they launch a movie yeah um yeah. that's it what yeah. do you think i i like it i i, I think um you know, anytime you can use uh, dwell time like this, people waiting at a bus stop or, or, you know, that kind of thing to to drive engagement for a brand is a good thing. And I think obviously the out of home, you know, tie into this makes a ton of sense. But it, but it, but in general, I would say Pokemon Go as a platform, you know, or the gamification of location uh, data in, in this way, I think, uh, it can work really, really well. Um, obviously, they had a big, you know, big success in the early days. As you said, the numbers are massive in, in terms of the revenue side of it, uh, just with this one game alone. But, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things, it's, it's kind of died off, you know, from the mainstream and, and uh, you know, new movie coming out and all that, they're trying to bring it back. You, you know, but, but I think as a, 
whether it's Pokemon Go or any other platform like this, I think there's massive potential in it, right? And I think we're still early days in AR and VR where it's not mass understood or used or, or, or played with yet. And I think you need platforms like this to drive awareness in terms of the possibilities for brands and for the consumer. Um, and I think like, for example, um, we, we didn't talk about it on the show, but uh, I know just a few weeks ago, Minecraft, uh, another big, huge game my, my son plays, um, is, uh, has announced a, a new version of Minecraft in the real world, where like basically in a similar thing, like you know, through the app, you're walking around and the buildings and everything you see around you are there, but they're built in Minecraft blocks and all that sort of stuff. So in a similar way, you know, you're sort of, experience in this augmented you know layer on top of you know the real world in this case you know you're capturing pikachus and whatever or exercising you know pokey demons uh that's the word i was looking for yeah (laughs) or you know in the case of minecraft obviously you're building you know things and 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 all that but 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 the point is is that you're doing this on top of the physical world uh based on your location and what's kind of coming up in the game around you and things like that and I think from a brand perspective, it's a great way to insert yourself into that. I remember, I don't know if you remember, uh, gosh, probably 2004, five, somewhere around there. I remember Second Life. You remember uh, there was a thing called Second Life, which was this whole VR kind of world um, uh, where, and brands were playing around in it. Like you could, you could actually like have your own life in this world and like kind of live in this other world. and. And you would go to like work and there would be like, you know, sponsors in the work environment. And you'd go to like, you know, the coffee shop and Starbucks would have like a presence in there and Coke would have a presence in there. And like brands were actually paying to be part of this virtual world called Second Life. Um, so I think there's the difference with that was that was purely online. And whereas these things are, you know, layered on top of the physical world based on location. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think there's a lot more merit to that so i like it i you know we'll see uh I, I'm, I'm not personally into the gaming uh, aspect of it but i know my, my my son for sure loves this kind of stuff so uh yeah i'll get him to uh to come talk about it next time <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go so that's our our three industry news stories for this week now we'll shift over uh and talk about our members uh and I'll, as always i'll I'll, uh, I'll kick this part off with a story about amazon now for a number of years, we've talked on this show about the advent of the Amazon Dash button. And if you've never heard of the Dash button, um, you know, I don't know why, because it's been out there for a while, but just very quickly, what a Dash button was is this little device uh, with a, like a sticky on one side and you peel it off. And usually they were branded for different brands that were participating in the program like Tide or Gillette or, you know, whatever. So if it was a Tide button, you take this little button um, and it's like a little small little IOT internet connected device. You'd stick it by your washing machine and then uh, through the internet, you connect it to your Amazon prime account. And then when you're running out of uh, tide or laundry detergent, you would simply tap the button and it would place an order uh, automatically just from that tap uh, to your Amazon prime account and and send you out some more tide. That's essentially the basic concept of, of a dash button. And what they announced is as of August 31st this year, they're ceasing uh, all dash buttons, um, which I'm, I was a little disappointed to read because, you know, I, I thought the concept was kind of cool. 
Um, but it's not completely gone. They're going with, you know, the virtual dash button, um, you know, and, and at the end of the day, I think it's more about the, the technology behind it uh, and, and ultimately about embedding that into uh, other applications, uh, other websites and, and other hardware. Um, and so, um, you know, they, they've been growing this out globally. They've got a lot of interesting brands on it. Like I said, Tide, Gillette, Listerine, Tylenol, you know, even Calvin Klein, uh, apparently I never saw that one. Uh, I don't know what you would do with Calvin Klein. Like I need more jeans, like tap. I, yeah, I, I have no idea. I have no idea what you do with Calvin Klein, but uh, at one point uh, within the first two years, it had become one of their fastest growing services, almost 6,000 orders a day coming through dash buttons uh, on Amazon, which is not insignificant. Um, but ultimately they've, they've kind of shifted the focus of these types of services instead of tapping to order something to the Alexa uh, platform, the voice platform. And we've talked a lot about that on this show in the last little while the power of voice, the movement towards voice, uh, it's just easier, right? Like you can just speak instead of tapping something uh, to place that order. Uh, there are now 80,000 Alexa skills on the market uh, that can help you do all sorts of things um, and integrate it into 4,000 devices. So, um, so that's kind of the focus, that's where it's going. So Dash isn't completely going away, it's just getting built into Alexa, it's getting built into other things. I know Brother, for example, the, the, the printer company, um, has integrated uh, that into the actual hardware. So as the printer is running out of ink, it automatically orders its own ink replenishment on Amazon, you know, itself without you having to do anything. Um, those kinds of things I think are really useful. It saves people a lot of time um, and, and just it's convenient. So, uh, but I can see then, you know, why they're, they're shifting to Alexa and kind of going in that direction. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually surprised to hear that they had, you know, such tremendous use of the dash buttons that you referenced. I think that the shift is really more in consumer behavior and how we want to order and how we want to interact with things. And so voice is definitely um, a leading technology for that over like having to push a button or anything um, and having a button for one product. I think a lot of people found a little bit, you know, frivolous and silly and, yeah. um, you know, not minimalistic as people are trying to be. So I think that it, that makes sense. I'm kind of happy they're killing the dash button. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that obviously Amazon knows its consumers. It knows you know their preferences and it also knows the numbers of how people are ordering and shopping. And, um, you know, also not that long ago, we had some um, interesting news about how Amazon was getting, you know, pushback in uh, EU with the dash button and how it was like an infringement upon privacy or something, which is, we know is ridiculous. Um, but also, you know, I think that in light of everything that's going on there, it just makes sense to kind of move away from it and do something that's like a little bit more, you know, forward thinking voice is the direction everything's going. So, yeah, cool. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Embrace voice is, is the, basically the bottom line of that story, right? It's all about Alexa. Well, yeah, so kind of continuing with voice, this next story or announcement um, is coming from Walgreens, and they are partnering up with a company called Theatro for employee communications. So they've decided they have intentions of rolling this technology out to all of their stores, but they are starting with a thousand stores this year in 2019. Um, and what uh, Theatro is, is it's a technology that allows the store team members to communicate 
um, with each other over like this small voice control device and it allows the associate to remain what they call heads up and hands free uh, to assist customers. So, you know, there's a lot of challenges in retail stores like a Walgreens, you know, finding somebody that is knowledgeable about products or where the products are. Um, so this is a, is a API rich platform and it's like allowing the workforce to optimize as best as they possibly can. So it does things like um, it interacts with systems for order management, has human capital management options, task management, um, and then it also has a bunch of other partner um, apps that can add layers of other features. So I guess if you have an app or something that you want, I'm sure there's like an API you can just build um, to interact with Theatro and you know have retailers like Walgreens work with you. So they also work with some other companies like the Container Store and I saw a few others on their website. Um, and I think I saw Theatro is actually based in um, right outside of DC, which is interesting. Um, you have like a few companies that pop up there, you know, in the technology space from time to time, of course. But um, yeah, I think this is interesting. I mean, I do think that it's so important for there to be that that um, that person, you know, that you can interact with in a store that you can ask questions to that human interaction. And so empowering employees to be able to provide the best customer service just makes sense to me. Um, and I like how they're doing this. I like that it's just something, you know, it's convenient and it's easy. Um, and then you have obviously like the AI technology that's powering things. So you don't necessarily have to wait for somebody that, you know, to ask a bunch of different people within the store that may not know the answer. Um, you can probably get, you know, some pretty good answers from what they've put together. And I would imagine onboarding takes some time, right? Like all the FAQs that they have to answer and build into the platform and the technology. But um, it sounds like a great long-term solution for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of this uh, this type of platform. I think um, you know it's interesting. I just I just took a quick look while you were talking. Uh, so we covered these guys, you know, when they launched with Container Store back in uh, 2016, uh, episode 269. Uh, for those who want to go back and and backtrack on that, but uh, you know, so so they've been at it for a while. Uh, you know, obviously they've they've matured the platform. Um, you know, for anyone who's ever worked in retail or been in retail. Uh, you know, and you got the, the walkie talkie, you know, thing there squawking all the time, you know, interrupting stuff and just sounding weird, you know, and, um, you, you know, I, I think this, this is the kind of thing that, you know, uh, can change, can change an environment, right. Uh, significantly and using, as you said, uh, voice technology, uh, to do that, I think makes a ton of sense. Right. And the, the real, the, the real essence of this, uh, as you pointed out though, is, is, in, is in the population of content and, and feeding that with, um, you know, with rich, uh, with rich data and, and the FAQs aspect of it. I know um, we have uh, Opteris, another LVMA member company that does a lot of work um, in uh, kind of managing the content, you know, relationship between the, the head office and the stores and, and works with a lot of retail brands, uh, you know, in, in that way, in terms of, you know, here's the new ad content, here's the new display content here's the the training materials here's all that sort of stuff and I, th I think this is kind of like you know an extension of that into the actual employees on the floor um you know and how you start to tie those things together i think becomes really interesting so yeah uh, you know for for me this is um needed technology in a in an area of the store that uh you know has has sat virtually on tap for a long time um you know but it's still walkie talkies everywhere right so there you go. Yeah. Check it out. Theatro. 
Uh, all right, our final story for this week. This one's really interesting to me. Uh, MediaMarkt, uh, the big uh, German-based uh, electronics retailer, uh, has launched in-store navigation uh, in their app. Um, so this is in the MediaMarkt smartphone app. You can now uh, navigate around the store. They're piloting this in Grandau Liblos, I think is how you say that. I don't know. Uh, that's the store that they're checking this out in. It's called the Store Guide uh, app. You can search for products uh, and then navigate uh, through the app to, to where that product is. What uh, Another cool thing about this story is the technology that they're using for this is also from an LBMA member company called Signify. Uh, Signify is the rebranded uh, name. It's been, a, I guess, a year and a half now or about uh, of Philips Lighting. Um, and um, yeah, so they're, they're doing this navigation using uh, smart lighting, intelligent ceiling lights uh, to transmit signals to the smartphone app, which then the app then, um, you know, can navigate based on. Um, and then they've also teamed up in, in, with uh, commerce and customer service company NovoMind uh, to kind of blend this all together. So, you know, a couple of things. Uh, I would say from the LBMA perspective, in terms of our annual research study, we've seen uh, big growth year over year in the utilization of, of smart lighting uh, as a way to do indoor location, indoor positioning, and ultimately navigation in this particular use case. Uh, Signify, you know, has also rolled out similar technology at ASDA, uh, which is the UK version of Walmart. Uh, I know Carrefour uh, in France is using uh, this type of technology as well. Um, so, you know, we're seeing more and more of this. Um, you know, uh, on the media market uh, side of things, you might remember we had uh, their uh, chief technology officer at the first retail local we did in Atlanta, uh, come and do a keynote uh, on the, I think the second morning and he brought the little robot uh, with them and did a little dance for us. Uh, they, so they have robots uh, in their store for, for navigating you around as well and things like that. So these guys are always about, um, you know, pushing the envelope in terms of technology and innovation. Uh, they have their own innovation unit called uh, N3XT. Um, and, um, you know, they're, they're constantly testing technology. So they've got, you know, digital shelf tags. They've got all sorts of things that they do uh, in their stores. But, uh, you know, I, I guess in one way, I'm a little bit surprised that it's taken this long for a company that, that, that's that forward uh, on pushing technology in their store. Because we've seen, obviously, navigation in North America in, in Home Depot and Toys R Us and, and, and platforms like that. But uh, doing it with a lighting-based uh, um, indoor positioning technology, uh, you know, it, it is pretty cool and pretty innovative. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it makes sense. Obviously, indoor navigation is a great feature to have, especially when you're in a bigger retailer and you're just looking for something specific, you know, being able to find it quickly is very helpful. Um, you know, I've used it from time to time in stores like Target. And, um, you know, I think it's a nice consumer add-on. Um, you know, the smart lighting, portion of it probably makes sense um, as well from like the scalability of it. Um, but rolling that out is a little bit probably complicated as well. Um, but you know, there's, there's quite a few ways to slice and dice indoor, indoor, in-store navigation. Um, so we'll see what's next. Who knows? Yeah. And, and like, it's, like there are a lot of companies that are kind of pushing into that. Right. So while that's, like I said, signifies, Formerly Philips, you know, GE's in the space, Osram's in the space, 
uh, Acuity, uh, you know, is in the space. So, so there's a lot of guys that are trying to kind of push this, uh, this smart lighting, uh, piece, uh, forward. So, uh, but good for, for media mark for, for jumping on that. So, all right. We do have actually one final little <laughs> mini story that I, I threw in here. Do you want to, want to kick that one? Yeah. Off? So it's more of an announcement and we just talked about, um, reveal mobile not too long ago on the show. Um, but they've now um, announced that they're expanding their POI or point of interest offering to cover Canada as well. So um, they will have the same location-based, you know, analytics and audiences and the foot traffic attribution that they do in the U.S. now will be available in Canada um, for their users. So they use precise building footprints and they can match audiences to locations. Um, so kind of the same thing that they've been doing and the same thing that we've been talking about, you know, over the past few weeks um, with that last announcement from them. Um, but they can also show up-to-date business information like location, business name, hours, you know, what category is it in, um, things of that nature. So um, obviously they had clients that were in, you know, more than just the U.S. in North America and they were trying to accommodate that. So, um, you know, go for reveal. It seems like they're expanding and growing. Yeah, obviously I don't have a lot to add to this other than I'm, I'm super excited because I, I live in Canada and it's good to have uh, more players coming in and providing uh, you know data on the local market here. Um, it, it's absolutely needed. There, there's very, very little uh, in terms of the big US players that, that cover this in terms of this type of data, the POI data, other than obviously the, you know, the Googles and, and, and whatnot. So, um, but, uh, yeah, you know, and, um, so I think this makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, I, I, there are some, some good local players as well. Uh, but, um, you know, good on reveal for kind of extending their, you know, their, their presence into Canada and we'll see how that plays out, uh, in, in good time. So, uh, congrats to them. So that's it. That's our show. Um, you've been listening to episode 426 of this week in location-based marketing. Um, for those of you with feedback, criticism, story ideas, reach out to us. We're easily found on the social media, uh, platforms, um, or via email or wherever. Um, if you're watching the video portion of this, uh, contact information is at the end of the show. And, uh, of course we'll be back next week with episode 427. Thanks for listening and watching everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.